The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. We finally actually have a good game. We didn't do the Tour NBA show. I actually went out to dinner, so I missed it live, but now I am caught up. I just got your gleeful text message at the end of the game when Bradley hit the three to win it so we'll get into that game talk about how Boston came back talk about the end of the game also we have to do a scouting report on Josh Jackson we're really getting through the wings here in this 2017 NBA draft we're brought to you today by movement watches mvmtwatches.com slash capsace will get you 15% off today with free shipping and free returns to over 160 countries and me undies use that capsace code and get 20% off your first pair, meundies.com slash capspace is the URL. Okay, Danny, what most stood out to you about this one? I think we should just, people are going to focus on Cleveland's meltdown. And yeah, you know, we'll talk about that. LeBron James not playing well, we'll talk about that. But I think we first have to give some credit to a very game Boston Celtics team. Absolutely. I mean, what stood out to me, so I watched the game, I watched the whole first half live. And then when Cleveland went up 21 in the third quarter, about midway through the third, I, I that, turned that's it when off. I went out to dinner yeah yeah I turned it <laughs> off and then I flipped back I didn't go out anywhere I flipped back probably about eight minutes left and Boston had already closed the lead and I was just like oh well that's interesting and then I ended up going back and re-watching it and what I noticed and I think this is partially to credit Boston partially to blame Cleveland was something you don't see very often which is Boston was pushing hard in the second half on the offensive glass yet they were still beating Cleveland back when Cleveland got the offensive rebound or defensive rebound sorry so they were basically so they were pressing but they were still getting back and so usually that requires a lot of effort but it also requires the other team not pushing it as hard as they can yeah eight offensive rebounds for boston distributed among a lot of their team a lot of that was driving to the basket missed layups but then those can lead to rebounds as well and i thought one thing that boston certainly deserves credit for as they held the cavaliers to 42 second half points is the fact that their defense got a lot better without isaiah thomas and i think that's something that maybe we could have expected but didn't really think about and we figured because they couldn't score at all that that would be even worse offensively than whatever they would gain defensively by not having Thomas out there as a weak link to go at but that's all right Marcus Smart took care of Isaiah Thomas's scoring role and then some he did I mean that that was one of the biggest takeaways from this game and some of his makes were just brutally hard I mean he was shooting some deep threes ended up eight of 14 from the field seven to ten from three and an impressive four of six from the line I believe all all six of those were on two three-shot fouls, one at the end yeah. of the first half and then one with about two minutes left, I believe, in the game. Yeah, Cleveland had a couple of bad plays 
at the end of quarters that ended up mattering although we certainly didn't think so at the end of the second quarter I mean some of these threes by smart were just I mean he shoots most of his threes open although he probably actually is more aggressive frankly with them than he should be given his the fact that he's an under 30 percent three-point shooter but in fact as uh, KP noted he's the first NBA player in history to make seven threes in a playoff game after shooting less than 30 percent on threes in the regular season but he's got the confidence to take it I mean some of these shots as he started to get hot he was shooting a three off a screen he hit a deep three uh in transition like three steps behind the line he on a baseline out of bounds he came into the corner and hit a fadeaway three in the right corner he had a crossover and he pulled up in J.R. Smith's face for a three. He had another pull up that was contested. I mean, these were not wide open shots by any means. And I think Smart really seized the opportunity to be really the starting point guard. You know, he had not played point guard hardly at all until this year. Then he played it a little bit towards the end of the year as the starting, or not the starting point guard, but the main point guard on backup units when Thomas was out of the game. But, you know, that's what he was drafted to do. I mean, everyone thought he would be starting for this team at this point. They hadn't even acquired Thomas at the the time he was drafted he was drafted to be a starting point guard and obviously has evolved into something different than that but i think it was he appreciated being getting the chance to really run the show um you know i don't think he's a great point guard overall just because of his inability to get in the lane and this shooting is aberrational but certainly what he gave defensively in this one in 41 minutes uh and the shooting was absolutely incredible also had seven assists and two steals and only two turnovers as well which was impressive given uh the offensive load that he had to carry in this one that ties in with a couple of the other big stories of this game one is as you just said marcus smart was low in turnovers but so was boston boston only had nine total and cleveland only scored five points off those nine turnovers yeah only and two Cle- fast break points for the Cavs as well which yeah. was huge none in the second half granted when you only have two they're probably going to be one side or the other but yeah and and they are again I think they're too strict on those Agreed. as well I mean there's a lot of like semi-transition threes that Love got in the first half when he drained seven three-pointers of his own in the first half but then Cleveland went two out of 17 on threes and this although I thought it would take place with Thomas involved this was the formula that we thought the Celtics could maybe steal a game in this series via them getting really hot on threes and Cleveland slowing down and Cleveland was nine of 13 on three-pointers in the first half so it looked like they weren't going to be oh no I'm sorry they were nine of 13 on three-pointers in the first quarter first quarter and 13 of their 17 shots were threes in the first quarter and then after that point they were only seven out of 26 uh and they did get to the foul line a ton Tristan Thompson took 15 free throw attempts he had seven offensive rebounds and quite a few more dead ball offensive rebounds uh, where he forced a loose ball foul so he was fantastic in this one offensively but I think it's time now to discuss LeBron James and his line was obviously pretty ugly 45 minutes 4 of 13 from the field the 13 a very low number 0 of 4 on threes 3 of 6 from the foul line 6 of 6 assists 6 turnovers and uh, only 6 rebounds only 1 defensive board in the second half when Boston put up those 8 offensive rebounds and he was directly involved in not getting some of those defensive rebounds so he did not bring the energy in the way that we saw especially defensively in those first two games in Boston with LeBron at first blush you usually notice him being passive offensively more just because he's so amazing when he's active but the same is really true defensively and that's why it was so noticeable in the regular season was you could see you know you'd see LeBron just not being himself and I don't blame him for that at all but in this game he was in in chill mode a little bit too often and they had a 21 
point lead with about six minutes left in the third quarter. So, I mean, at that point, you, you kind of want to deal with the process as it is. But I thought that his three shot attempts, and he only had three shot attempts in the fourth quarter, were, were kind of telling. So he had one where he had Jay Crowder on him and he kind of just floated a little bit to the right and took a three. I thought it was going to go in. It was close. You know, it was in and out. Then he had a drive that was actually very well contested by Kelly Olenek. Full credit to him for that. And then he had another one that was lightly contested by Avery Bradley that could have gone in as well, but missed. I think that one was short. So those shots were, I don't want to say they were necessarily troubling, but the play that actually stood out to me from LeBron was, was I think it was about three minutes left. He threw this kind of overly fancy pass. I guess it was intended to Kyrie. I think Jay Crowder got a little bit of a hand on it and it just ended up going immediately back the other way. It wasn't a straight pick six, but it was just, it just didn't no, look he like was a trying, LeBron He was play. trying to get love in the post on that play. I made a note of that one. Yeah, Crowder just deflected it. And like it happened so fast that the announcers didn't even like notice that it happened. They were like talking about something else and like love was trying to post up and Crowder just, you know, was pressuring him. And I think that's something that you have to do to James is kind of pressure him and make him, yeah. you know, to take away some of those passing angles where he can just throw it a million miles an hour. Um, but yeah, like uh, he definitely just did not seem to bring the energy. I mean, even when he forced Avery Bradley to miss, but he had like the chase down that he gets like every single time he, he didn't actually block it. And then I think Crowder was able to get a tip in uh, from Bradley in the fourth quarter. So I mean, it, who knows what it was? I mean, I think he, they were up by so much just mentally. He probably was like, all right, this game is over. I don't need to try against these guys. And then just, I guess, couldn't get back into it or, or, you know, decided, Hey, well, if these guys are blowing the lead, you know, I'm going to leave it up to them to come back. Uh, he did have one big play later on as we'll get to the play by play where, where he got into the post. But yeah, I mean, it, it was just surprising to see him like not finishing over Kelly Olenek. He went to a fadeaway against Jay Crowder over his right shoulder from like 20 feet with eight on the shot clock, you know, just was, was, and then threw some very careless passes for those six turnovers as well. The one you mentioned, there's another one where he tried to drive the lane and, and Boston came back so quickly too, because they just were on fire on threes at the end of that third quarter that I think it would just, it, it almost hit them so quickly that they're like, oh yeah, I guess we got to start playing again here. One of the other huge things that changed between the first half and the second half was Brad Stevens' use of big men that were not Al Horford. So in that first half they gave minutes to Amir Johnson they were distinctly awful in those minutes and then they also gave some time to Tyler Zeller and they were awful in those minutes and then the second half Amir got the Keith Bogans he played less than three minutes and then they went with a Linick who did better they did play Jerebko re- exhumed him and I thought he had a nice game overall you know some of yeah, that he should have been playing this whole time like how why was like he's a guy who can hit three pointers okay can switch okay like why was he not in this entire time i really have no understanding of why that would be when alinek and, and amir johnson and tyler zeller who again got first half minutes for some completely unknown reason uh were just getting their butts kicked alinek i know played well today but uh why they couldn't get more jerebko i don't know but i mean he certainly uh was fantastic in this one down I, the I have a stat for you the celtics had a negative 84.4 net rating in amir johnson's nine and a half minutes <laughs> yeah i actually thought amir was wasn't the problem in, in games okay. one and two but yeah in, in this game he was he, he wasn't as good i mean just because of the shooting that they had on the floor it makes it difficult for him and but yeah jerebko in this one he was plus 22 all of which occurred in the second half four of four from the field two of two on threes and he had another three that uh, broke a tie that was or basically was a three his foot was on the line um yeah they had a key tip in as well was okay on the defensive glass uh, i thought he, w- he was pretty good he set up bon- uh, one thing that was pretty funny 
was you know he got into it with love and then darren williams tried to rile him up by just setting like a cheap screen quote unquote in the backcourt as he's just like trying to run down court behind the play and drew a foul on him but then jonas got him back with a bone crushing screen that like messed up williams shoulder so i enjoyed that because that was a cheap play by darren williams like not really a basketball play just to rile him up and uh i enjoyed him paying the price for that later i also thought that olenic had a couple of interesting some one of which i'm absolutely floored it actually worked drives in the second half and that again gets into this idea of cleveland at their worst they're lacking in in terms of help defense especially when lebron is in chill mode yeah and they also when going with horford at center thompson struggled a little bit more on the defensive glass uh and wasn't able to provide quite as much help either and i thought horford even though he was only seven out of 18 his aggressiveness in the post was useful to just give them somewhere to go late in the clock someone to just create some offense nonetheless i would still say that boston got pretty lucky to come back here i mean 11 out of 22 on some very difficult attempts smart going five of six in the second half and then for the Cavs to go two out of 17 again the, you know those weren't like the absolute hardest looks from these guys although i will say corver was 0 for three and i think like two of his three were like impossible shots like i don't remember him taking shots like that in atlanta i mean he's just like feet aren't set totally contested like that's one of those ones where it's like all right kyle you might want to just move the ball there instead because he's not he's not the type of shooter like clay thompson who's going to just take those shots over a contest without his feet set um um, so yeah, I mean, they, they Boston's defense definitely improved, but you know, it was LeBron trying to finish over a and like LeBron just went right through a in the first two games, just, you know, didn't seem to quite have the juice as much in this one anything else you wanted to say before we talk about uh, the end of this one anything uh, that stuck out for you one more thing tristan thompson we mentioned him earlier that he was electric for a lot of this game but i i started especially in hindsight when i rewatched the fourth quarter the, he was getting so amped up like when he got fouled and was going to the free throw line and at first i'm like oh he's trying to rile up the crowd and then i realized no he's probably trying to rile up his teammates because yeah. they just looked flat during that game and he was trying to give them give them a little bit of energy because they still i mean they had a, they had a, a very good chance to win this game the whole way through i thought jalen braun was just horrendous on defense uh, guarding lebron james again he had a nice steal later on uh, on darren williams but he just uh, and i don't think he scored in this game either but i don't know what he's doing with his hands when lebron tries to go at him he just like just grabs lebron with both hands like every time like it doesn't make any sense like you got to either you know use your forearm and, and try and be strong or like get in front of him and use your chest like you can't just hold the guy with two hands every time he tries to dribble at you or, or post you up like it just it's gonna foul every single time i have no idea like what technique he's using but it's horrendous uh, all right let, let's uh, i think all i had here just overall on this game let's take a quick break to tell you about movement watches mvmtwatches.com slash cat spaces your url to get 15 percent off today with free shipping and free returns They've sold now over 500,000 watches and they're sold in 160 countries. So if you're an international listener who wants to support the pod, you've been looking for your chance. This is a great way to do it. I actually have two of these. One of them, the gunmetal sandstone is my current favorite. And for a long time, I never really wore a watch because I had a cell phone and I didn't really think it was worth spending a bunch of money because I didn't like watches that were inexpensive and it didn't seem worth it to spend 500 bucks on a watch at a, at a department store. But Movement Watches actually has brought that type of quality, but added the best price possible. They started just $95 and you can get it even less expensive with that 15% off by going to that mvmtwatches.com slash catspace URL. They sell their products entirely online, so they don't have to pay for 
that high pressure watch salesman's commission. They don't have to pay for the retail space. You don't have to pay for their conventional advertising. All you pay for is an awesome watch. So just go check them out. I, I encourage you to do that. See if there's a watch on there that you like. They make great gifts for men or women as well. I got one for my mom. She actually got one for both of her nieces again that url movement watches mvmtwatches.com slash cap space i think you'll find a watch that you really like there and as a bonus you get 15 percent off today join the movement we'll pick it up here it was 101.99 after kevin love got a tip in and stevens whose atos were, were unbelievable they ran a nice little duck in post up for marcus smart cleveland had to on Kyrie. cleveland had to send emergency help and then that set up a wide open crowder three which missed but smart got the offensive rebound over Kyrie irving and kevin love and then threw it out to horford for a shot which deonster thought was a three then was called a long two and then pretty late on because there wasn't a stoppage for quite some time under two minutes they reviewed it and changed it back to a three it was you know millimeters away from being a two but it was in fact a three and that's one of those plays where thompson wasn't able to get in on the rebounding because horford was spacing out to the three-point line and then after that the next possession was that play you were talking about danny where crowder deflected the entry pass to love but Boston couldn't get anything out of that. And then Irving just isolated one-on-one against Smart and got a, flo- a floater to put Cleveland up by, we thought at the time, uh, 103-101. Boston missed again, and Cleveland had a two-point lead with 135 left. And J.R. Smith, after Smart shut down a Kyrie drive, set up a wide-open corner three by Kevin Love that could have put them up by what it would have eventually been four and, and just about ended the game. But he missed that wide-open three, obviously, was off awesome for the rest of the game although he did shoot 0 for 3 on three pointers and one out of five only in the second half which because they always they never go to him in the second half and just you know Kyrie and LeBron decide that they're going to take over instead so then was a key bad foul by J.R. Smith uh, where he hacked smart on a pump fake three with like one left on the shot clock that they had played great defense up until that point like Kyrie switched the pick and roll they went to Horford in the post Kevin Love who has been a very intelligent defender in this series came over and scrammed Kyrie which if you don't know what that means basically you've got a smaller defender on someone in the post a bigger defender comes over and just basically says scram you get out of here I'll guard this guy and so they had to throw it out to smart he was wasn't even open and then he just gets smith in the air and and uh locks in the first free throw ended up going two out of three and at this point i think it was when they actually reviewed that three-pointer yeah, it was and that before ended the up first being, shot yeah yeah that's right so it ended up putting boston ahead by one which it would have been tied had that only been a, a two and then this the Cavs tried to run the same play that they ran for the Kyrie legendary three against golden state where they ran a one-two pick and roll uh but that just got marcus smart onto irving instead not steph curry and smart an excellent defender with a great wingspan to contest and irving took the same off step back three that he took against Steph Curry but you know it wasn't close and that was a zero pass possession uh, pretty ugly uh but you know obviously Curry has made that shot before but uh and, and I thought it was interesting I mean that the number of Kyrie isos that they went to I mean this was the third right wing Kyrie iso he got one time where he drove by smart for a floater one time smart cut him off and then they ended up swinging it to J.R. Smith but smart stopped him and then smart contested that three pretty well so that's three possessions in a row they went to a Kyrie iso on the right side I don't know if LeBron even touched the ball in scoring position on those plays and I know that like in the series against Toronto for example the end of game four where Kyrie scored 
11 straight points at the end and Kyrie was scoring a lot better than LeBron was in this game so I understand why they wanted to go to that but Cleveland's offense does bog down at the end of games into isos quite a bit and they have great isolation scores but uh they are not well known for running a lot of stuff at the end of game yeah and it was also interesting that Kyrie had been successful in that fourth quarter I think he was four of four on twos but then that shot was was in many ways his worst I mean he had some tough layups but he's incredible at that and it it wasn't reflective of the rest of his game and then I I found this sequence by Boston so fascinating because without Isaiah Thomas they didn't have that centerpiece of their fourth quarter offense and it led to a a variability that was fun and I have thought that on the next play Al Horford's activity was a, a massive difference yeah Boston would score of course seven points on their last three possessions of the game and Horford they first ran some floppy action and Thompson was kind of preoccupied by that and then Horford just turned around and posted up got great deep post position right on the block turned and faced and Thompson executed the scouting report forced Horford to his left which he doesn't want to go to and Horford it's kind of muscled up an awkward shot uh going to his left with his right hand uh but was able to get that to go and it was a 106-103 lead and then nice job by Cleveland coming down and this was the one play that where LeBron was involved he had he had the ball they got a switch of smart onto lebron with a 3-2 pick and roll very early on in the possession and then they felt like they had to double lebron in the post on smart he wasn't even really in scoring position yet crowder just came down having just switched off of lebron and he just left jr smith wide open for a three no one rotated over but i mean that's you probably got to bring help from somewhere else at that point because yeah it's really just you're up by three with 30 seconds left like your number one commandment is don't give up a three especially don't give up an open three to a guy who's going to make them you know that's a, it's a very different thing and that's I thought good it, too. yeah I thought it was a, a bad decision by Crowder just because the worst case scenario there with LeBron on on smart was you know maybe a, a two and they could you can even if you get help on the interior they get a two-pointer they it even would have forced them to work a couple seconds off the clock and it ended up being though that they scored quickly enough and then Boston got the ball back I completely did not expect Boston to be able to get a shot quickly enough to really set up the final sequence but they absolutely did yeah. Stevens is a master at calling time out to get the two for one the play he likes to run the most is with Isaiah Thomas coming out of the backcourt with the head of steam even though they're inbounding on the sideline they throw it into the backcourt and then get him going towards the rim this time though they went with something totally different smart had the ball up top and or i'm sorry no it was bradley uh, who had the ball up top not a guy known for taking guys off the dribble and what they clearly wanted to do on those last two atos was target jr smith and see if he would screw up the communication on switches i actually didn't blame smith on this one too much i know he didn't switch on to bradley but marcus smart just set a completely illegal screen on Kyrie Irving. i mean he's coming through and he's going through with enough speed that Smith can't be blamed for thinking, all right, he's going to just, you know, run through here and slip the screen and go to the weak side. And instead, Smart just bowls over Kyrie Irving running at full speed. And Avery Bradley goes right down the lane. They had to force emergency help from Love and LeBron at that point. And then Jarebko, who Stevens had, I think, reinserted into the game just for that possession, was wide open on the left side and just barely stepped on the line uh, to give Boston a two-point lead with uh, his shot from just inside the arc. 
And then Stevens made another move really late, actually right before Cleveland was about to run their play, bringing Jalen Brown back in for defense better than Jerebko. Yeah, for Jerebko, which I actually, I didn't agree with because I thought Brown had, had been pretty bad defensively, but I guess they wanted to have a little more switchability there. And then, so what happened is this, I, I brought up this play a little bit earlier, but LeBron got a nice drive on Al Horford, made a pass that I absolutely didn't see live. Like I, I didn't think that it was open to Darren Williams, but Darren Williams didn't have the shot. So they ended up getting it to Kyrie and Kyrie got a layup because Al Horford couldn't get there. Yeah, again, they had Love at center. They put in Williams for Tristan Thompson, so they were spreading the floor. Horford had done well on LeBron early in the possession after they got a switch and forced that pass to the corner. Uh, but Williams with a nice driving kick, and then Irving was able to get by Avery Bradley, and there just was no help at the rim just because there was so much floor spacing. So that tied it, and Stevens again went for the timeout. It was That might be one where you'd say, hey, we should probably not call a timeout there. But I think he felt like i mean his atos have been so good in the playoffs that i think it was worth it like most coaches like okay let's call timeout and then they don't really run much of a play or you know you also want to make sure that you run the time down with it tied but he's been so good with these atos that i totally understand calling a timeout and the last play was really again a really nice design from stevens and then the execution from everyone involved in the celtics was outstanding shumpert was in they had avery bradley basically fake like he was going to set a screen for jake Crowder to come to the top and instead so that caused confusion between Smith and Shumpert then Bradley busted his butt back to the top and both Shumpert and Smith went with Crowder who cut right to the basket it was pretty similar to just your normal flex action uh, but instead it was Bradley just coming back instead of setting the screen so it looked like a screen was going to be set no screen ever was set that led to Smith switching which he shouldn't have done he should have just stayed with Bradley but that's very difficult to deal with it at that time and then Al Horford seeing that Bradley was going to be open and nobody was on him, did a great job of just screening his own man, Thompson, who would have been the last possible line of defense and couldn't get through Horford. And then Bradley got the wide open three and it bounced around just long enough to waste all the remaining time on the clock and then dropped through at the very end. Two points. One, what whatever you're calling what Horford did was to me was an illegal screen, though I, I it, calling that in that yeah. circumstance. But, but I totally when it's understand. on your own man, it's much easier to get away with when, when it's right. on somebody else. It, it, right? it, it kind of looked like they were scrambling for a rebound, except there was no rebound. Like that's kind of what it looked like to me what Horford was trying to pull off and then also the Celtics to a degree though I understand why Bradley shot what he did because he was wide open like he had a he had a great look if that shot goes in or out cleanly the the Cavs have enough time to try something else but again it was a three so it's a little bit different there was I think it was two seconds left when it hit the rim but since it hit the rim and then bounced around for 1.9 seconds it worked out perfectly yeah and so we'll talk about what this means for the rest of this series and get to a little bit news as well a little bit of news as well right after this from our friends at MeUndies. Not difficult to sell MeUndies. They are the most comfortable pairs of underwear uh, that I've owned. What makes them that way? They are made from sustainably sourced micromodal, a fabric that is three times softer than cotton. And they come in an ever-changing selection of classic colors, bold shades, and adventurous patterns you can tailor to your own personal style. They actually just sent me a pair that had a bunch of pandas on it that I kind of enjoyed. Or you can just go with some more basic shades as well. But whatever style you try, MeUndies guarantees that they will be the most comfortable pair of underwear that you've owned. 
I haven't revamped my entire underwear drawer with MeUndies yet, but they certainly are the first ones that I wear once a wash gets done. So there's two ways that you could get started with them. One is you just go to MeUndies.com slash Catspace and get 20% off your first pair, or you can go to that URL and then save 33% each month with a monthly subscription. You select your style, size, and plan, and MeUndies will send you undies that they think you'll swoon for each month. Once again, MeUndies.com slash Catspace. Easy to remember that URL because we talk about it all the time on the program meundies.com slash catspace that'll get you that 20 percent off your first pair and of course let them know that you came from us does this change anything it means the Cavs are going to have to play until thursday but i think beyond uh, that i think snark, the, the biggest consequence is that wick grusbeck gets another home game to make you know another five million bucks or something the celtics owner the the other thing that it can do is it could encourage brad stevens to actually play his best remaining players more frequently there is no point of tyler zeller being in this series that has not changed with isaiah thomas being out or anything like that. And I'm not saying Boston is should be favored in any remaining game because of adjustments like that, but they have a much better chance. And their defense was good enough, you know, with Jerebko in place. Amir Johnson can be better than he was in this game, but Boston has the they have the wings to actually go with these kinds of lineups and they might as well use that while they can. They certainly were better defensively in this game, although it bears noting that even so, Cleveland had a 119 offensive rating. And Cleveland's defense definitely could have been better. I mean, especially down the stretch with some of the switches that they blew, the lack of communication, that was a major issue. But I mean, they weren't like giving up wide open threes every time to Boston. Like they were making some pretty tough shots, Crowder and Smart in particular. So I'm not going to say that like Boston's going to be competing with Cleveland or even that they're stopping them now in this series. Cleveland will not go two out of 17 on threes in a half again I do think the fact that they don't have that one weak link now you really the only weak defender who's going to get much time for the Celtics is Olenek and even he played well today so you at least have the fact that there's nobody that they can just go at the way they could with Thomas and their strategy now they're running way less pick and roll so and they really with Thomas being hurt like they're struggling to deal with that he just didn't have the burst to get past those traps so those traps have kind of been neutralized they're just doing way more off ball stuff getting into the post a little bit more as well just finding little ways to take advantage of Cleveland's weaker links which I think is useful but I mean all that I I don't expect them to compete in the next game I expect Cleveland will come out and blitz I mean just like this has to be though probably the most unexpected comeback in a game since that game six of the 2015 Western Conference semifinals where Houston looked like they were dead and came back without James Harden on the floor I mean the way the Celtics had gotten worked in this series being down by 21 points with six minutes left in the third quarter I mean like there was no chance that they were going to do this like I mean it was just an incredible comeback but I think we need to acknowledge that it was a pretty lucky comeback they're not going to only turn it over nine times again you know Cleveland probably won't have an 18 percent turn turnover rate for themselves they, they're not going to equal cleveland on the offensive glass like there's they're not going to outshoot cleveland from three I mean, there's so many things had to go right for them to get to this point uh lebron james m- will score more than 11 points next game i can guarantee you that so i i, I think it's this is I, I wouldn't make too much of this even if you know it was nice to see him at least win a game 
Right. And it was encouraging and it's always fun. I like the variability that we could see sometimes in basketball. And so Boston played hard and they got close and I I, I didn't expect them to win even until the very, very end. But I'm impressed with the, the fact that they kept battling and that they, they kind of wanted to a degree in their own way. I was I was pleased with that. I'm also pleased that you're not going to get both of these series exactly right, because that was starting to frustrate me a little bit. <laughs> Whatever, as, man. It, it's I, I still deserve credit for a sweep if they win it. <laughs> My 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 zealous game. my my zealous refusal to not pick sweeps got a little bit of vindication <laughs> in this, and so the, I, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit happy about that. But yeah, well, I, and, I th- and to be fair, uh, but like the sweeps were both aided by the Thomas injury and the Leonard injury. Like we made I, I like when it was looking like I was going to be right in both series. Like I wasn't anticipating that both those guys were injured either. So I mean, it's it, you're right. I mean, it's, it, it would have been kind of a cheap win if they both ended up sweeping anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's basketball, but now we get games at least until Thursday. So that's kind of fun. And I guess that's a word for it. But we also have other things to talk about. Yeah, some brief news. David Lee, the preliminary diagnosis was a partially torn patellar tendon. Apparently, he was walking around at practice today and even is listed as doubtful for the next game, along with Kawhi Leonard, who is, again, is not anticipated to play, did not practice today. So very difficult to imagine that he's going to be out there. But it's unclear whether Lee will need surgery, though. That's definitely a good thing for him. Hopefully, he can avoid that and this won't kill his free agent chances too badly. And also, I think we can now say that this is safely not the worst conference finals of all time. I think we can put 2015, I think, was clearly worse overall than this was. So, And, and uh, according to Sean Devaney, I just love this stat that per Vegas lines, the Celtics winning while 16 point underdogs was the biggest playoff upset in the last 15 years, beating Dallas's crazy win in that series against Oklahoma City when they were underdogs by 13 in the 20 in the first round 2016. Oh, yeah. The game where Russell Westbrook played baseball basically the worst pick and roll defense that any point guard has ever played yeah on Raymond Felton to lose that I, in that bu- game I believe we were game. watching that game at Oracle and just like what the hell is going on if memory serves all right let's take a look at, at Josh Jackson now Jackson already 20 years old from Detroit Michigan went to Kansas of course played one year there his birthday is February of 97, so he, he recently turned 20, so he's a year old, basically, for his freshman class, which, of course, is worth noting. He's another uh, guy in this wing class, along with Jason Tatum and Jonathan Isaac. He is currently projected to go number three overall to the Sixers by Draft Express. What are your preliminary impressions of Josh Jackson, Danny? So I've actually seen Jackson a, f- a few different times in person, and then also, of course, watched film on him. And what struck me that first time back when he was in high school, actually a prolific prep in Napa was he's an unusual combination of skills for a guy like him. And I mean that in partially a positive way, but not entirely a positive way, because he's better with the ball in his hands than you might expect for somebody who's not really an amazing offensive player. He makes good passes. I think he makes good decisions overall, but there are two questions that are definitive for him. And if the answer to either one of them is no, then I don't think you can draft him high and teams will have different opinions. One is high meaning like top five, right? One is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Can he be versatile defensively? Not can he 
defend his guy. I think that I, I trust that he'll do a good job there. But can he be versatile? Can he guard different players with different skill sets? Can he do that? And then the second one is, is it, can his jump shot become reliable? Not necessarily will he become like Bradley Beal's form or anything crazy like that, but can it become reliable? If either of those questions is no, then those guys are getting phased out of the league to a point. And he's good at other things that help him, that help augment his value, but it's hard to overcome either of those. Jackson stands six foot eight. Only a 6'10 wingspan, though, and he weighs only 207 pounds. It doesn't have that big shouldered frame. He played exclusively at the four, just about at Kansas. They played in basically a one traditional big system. They had a bunch of guards playing around him. So he was mostly matched up one-on-one against college fours. They ran a lot of like dribble weave, dribble pitch stuff to kind of get him on the move, getting into the lane. He's pretty bouncy off of one or two feet. You know, he's an alley-oop threat. He'll get out on the break and dunk. Not really a tremendously creative finisher, especially in the half court. A lot of what he'll do is he'll kind of take off a little early and kind of float it up. Jackson is someone who gave me a little bit of trouble because I, I wanted to really not like him. Like, all right, this guy's jump shot. His form looks totally broke. I know he shot 38% on threes, but it was a very low volume of attempts. And if you look at now in Calculus's model of how he's going to shoot from three. He's projected to only shoot 1.8 three-point attempts per 40 minutes in his first year in the pros. He shoots 57% from the foul line, which is awful. And he, the way he brings the ball up, he gets his left thumb really involved. He's got his elbows out. And then also, he brings the ball up really far in front of his body a lot of times, but not necessarily consistently. For as ugly as his shot looks, it actually has more versatility, you know, that he can get it off on the move or from different angles or stuff stopping and, and turning around than you might expect but it still is pretty ugly and especially with that really bad free throw shooting i would be surprised if he becomes more than just you know maybe he can make a wide open spot three but i think it's gonna have big trouble for him because when you're drafting a wing in the top five you want him to have the capability to someday maybe be a dominant scorer, at least like a number two option with the ball in his hands and because of his issues with the jump shot he doesn't have an amazing handle or a ton of moves and then the fact that he's not like that dynamic of a finisher and he probably doesn't have the size to play more than just a little bit of small ball four although he is a pretty good offensive rebounder but overall like i don't think he has the rebounding potential that someone like isaac does isaac is in another class as far as his size and length i again am just kind of skeptical and it's surprising to say this because he is a real athletic guy i don't really see the upside with him because you know he's just gonna with that shot not being able to do that much off the drill i know he's like a great passer which is such a weird skill for him to have given kind of the way the rest of his game works but yeah i mean i you know i think he's a guy who could maybe be a starter uh but especially when you're trying to get a guy in the top five that you think is going to be part of a you know the anchor of a championship team someday you know i don't really see him at, at that level and then especially when you consider that he's a year old for his class as well i'm also concerned that you know his his frame is good but when you think about the elite small forwards in this game and while those guys are going to be older as he you know as he kind of comes into his own you think about okay how is he going to guard Kawhi Leonard how is he going to guard LeBron LeBron James or or, or Carmelo Anthony like he he does not have that type of size I agree with you and so that's a concern that type of strength or that kind of length as well I mean I think like he's he's not really able to 
like bother guys with his length defensively. And I want to get into the H thing a little bit more because it does matter. I think back to Shabazz Muhammad, who was a year older than everyone thought he was, and that, that got became an issue for him at various moments. But Tatum is seven months older than Brandon Ingram, who was one Jackson, of the youngest. Jackson. Yeah, sorry, Josh Jackson is, is seven months older than Brandon Ingram, who was one of the youngest guys in, in last year's draft. But still, he's 13 months older than Jason Tatum. So that helps him. You know, you think about the, the physical advantage that he has on some of those big 12 guys but the hardest thing for him is so you say okay what is his best case scenario and then how likely is he to get there and that goes back to the free throw thing because i understand you know you want to you want to look at the the 38 from three that's a wonderful thing he shot almost twice as many free throws as he did threes and he shot those at 56 and a half percent so you have to marry those things together it's also a deeper three-point line everything like that so what makes me uncomfortable is like I don't trust like we, we talked a lot about how you like Jalen Brown's ball handling and decision making in transition last year as a draft prospect you can use that a little bit Boston hasn't used it that much this year I don't think Josh Jackson unless he's getting the defensive rebounds and then doing a grab and go that you're going to use the passing he has in transition that much because he's not a great transition scorer yeah the passing where I really was impressed he's an excellent entry passer when he gets the ball in kind of a short roll situation he actually did a lot of work as a roll man as well playing at the four when teams didn't want to switch that he also has like a, a versatile game getting into the post it, uh he's got some nice push shots he likes to go to his left a left shoulder jump hook kind of hybrid hook push shot as well in the post so he's not like and he gets on the offensive glass as i mentioned he can get up for alley-oops like i think he could find some ways to score he did have a 27 percent usage rate but i still don't think that he's going to be a quality jump shooter and that's it's just really difficult to be a high scorer on the wing if you're not a quality jump shooter and then you know the ability to shoot off the dribble like he'll take them and it's like you know sometimes he won't miss that badly and you're like oh maybe like you know that you'll see a shot it's like oh that was kind of impressive but then it's just especially when you think about his form too as as these guys who have like a lot of weird motion in your shot like if you don't have a compact shot that makes it so much harder to shoot from nba3 like if you're if you've got strong legs you can shoot from the college three it's just such a different shot from the nba line when you're one of these kind of funky guys who it's like you can kind of work it out to make a college three but it's just a much different shot you know maybe you'll be able to hit from the corners but again i'm just in what is supposedly this really good draft we've only looked at three guys still i mean if he's the number three prospect in this draft like is it really that good of a draft now there are probably going to be guys below him that i'm going to like a lot more i would i would imagine but he's just like yeah you know he's like pretty athletic he's not like an absolute nuclear guy i I think defensively he could be solid moving his feet but i don't see him as like an absolute stopper kind of guy because he just due to his physical tools so like what is what's the big appeal about like oh man this is a future superstar we're going to draft at number three i just don't see it from him the other concern and i think you were getting at this before is the idea of a set it and forget it type of wing like the idea where you just put him in i think bradley beal is probably a good example of this where you know you put him in he's going to do what he does well and you and you, you you can work with it and that isn't to say that every wing has to be that type of guy but it certainly helps and it helps a guy get playing time early on and with jackson right now i would say that a reasonable expectation is that if he's a starter he's probably going to be your fourth best offensive player if you're a good team you can pull that off if you are good at a lot of things out there if you're a good defender offensive glass which is something i think he does well for his size those sorts of things but you have to hit on a lot of different components of your game in order to make that worth it especially if you if you're drafting him high enough that you think he's going to be a key piece on a good team eventually yeah and i do think it's worth noting again like his passing 
is really impressive. Like if he drives, he'll usually find like a really nice drop off that not a lot of guys are going to have it. And his finishing can look good at times, like wrong, nice wrong foot finishes or you know, he'll show some surprising touch at times, but other times it won't be that great. He doesn't really, I don't think he has very big hands. He doesn't get like great extension on his finishes or around the rim either. I mean, I'd say on non-dunks, he's, you know, I'd say he's probably about average uh, for a wing prospect when he's really pressured. Isolations, he really struggled, you know, because guys were just laying off. And basically the only move he had was either a between the legs dribble, you know, to try and attack or, or a crossover, you know, not really a lot of in and outs or advanced operation or anything like that i mean he is a little bit better shooting off the dribble than you might expect given his weirdo form but it is tough for him to pull up like if he's got a guy in his hip because he wants to bring the ball up way in front of his body and then you can get it stripped pretty easily that way i didn't see him really have to defend conventional pick and roll defense hardly at all i looked and there really were not that many possessions like that because what they were just switching everything one through four so there and it was very rare that the other team was running a pick and roll with their four man so like the only time he would have to play pick and roll defense is if they switched him on to like a, a two or a one and then that guy would run a pick and roll so there were just weren't that many opportunities to see him try and get over screens the few times he did he looked pretty average you know about what you'd expect from a freshman not like amazing uh but you know again he wasn't asked to do that a ton running the pick and roll again you could go under on him pretty easily not a guy who's going to be able to get someone on his hip and operate and that's probably asking a lot for a, a freshman wing uh, but because of the way his jumper is like he's not really able to rise up in the mid-range unless he has a, a ton of space so th- a lot of that is a, a long-winded way of saying that i just don't see how he becomes a really good scorer in the nba and if you're not going to be that like i'm not taking you in the top five if you're a wing i'm sorry do you think that positional scarcity runs enough in his favor to really boost him? Or is it just kind of like kind of like the idea of when a center gets taken somewhere between 8 and 12, like in those old, I think about Patrick O'Brien for this, but you could do a million guys, of the idea of like, if you're not good enough to go high, then you probably shouldn't go high anyway? I think of a draft pick in the top five. I think once you get below five, you can kind of change this. A draft pick in the top five is a unique opportunity to find a potential superstar. It is very, very difficult to find a potential superstar below that level, and nobody knows who the hell those guys are going to be. In the top five, it's hard enough to find someone like that. That's the beauty of those picks, though, is they represent, even if it's only a 10% chance of getting a superstar, I think if I would not ever draft someone in the top five, unless I was a team that just was like, all right, we've got everyone else, and we just this guy just fits in just so perfectly with exactly what we need as like a three and d guy or something and you know what like if he had all these skills and i was like all right i believed he was going to be a quality three-point shooter and he shot free throws okay and you know there's reason to believe that his form didn't look so jacked up then maybe i would think about it but i just don't think that he has the ability to do enough with the ball in his hands or the ability to be really like a defensive superstar either on the wing Uh, so on either end i just don't see the upside there even if he does have, you know, some skills like the offensive rebounding and the passing that I think smart teams could really make use for. And I think he might be a guy that you could enjoy watching play for some of those weird skills that he has. But yeah, I just don't see why you would pick him that high when I like, I mean, is, that's what I don't understand. Does anyone think that he's going to be a superstar? Like I haven't heard anyone say that, you know, and I don't understand what the path is for him to get there with all these offensive limitations, even if, you know, on occasion, he'll kind of do some stuff that surprises you. It's just not there with 
with any kind of consistency. And there are some major issues towards getting there, starting, of course, with the shot and his physical profile, even if he is, you know, a good leaper. Well, remember what we talked about. Somebody asked us on the Twitter NBA show that we did yes yesterday. We're recording this on Sunday. So on Saturday about what player types are better or worse in the playoffs. And it was one of the ones we agreed on was players without specific dramatic weaknesses. And Josh Jackson at this point looks like his jump shot isn't going to be reliable enough for, you know, it might not be as dramatic as like Tony Allen's or something like that. But if you have a player that other teams feel comfortable helping off, if you have a player that if he has the ball in his hands, that you feel like you can give him space, that makes it so much harder for every single other player on your team offensively. And you can make that up. There are certain guys who can, but I don't, when I watch him, I don't see a guy who you say, oh, well, even if that doesn't work out, he's worth it. And that's scary. Yeah. And, and I think we're probably going a little bit too far and making him sound like a stiff, like to get no, up to no, 27% usage in a major conference on a good team. Like you got to have some ability, like, you know, he's actually hit some step back jumpers every once in a while, like his post up game, like he finds little ways to get buckets. So like, I don't think he's going to, he's going to be a guy where like you put him out there and you just straight up ignore him. You know, like you said, Tony Allen or MKG style, like it's not going to be that bad, but still, you know, I could see teams kind of defending him. Like, you know, like Sean Livingston gets defended these days, you know, like that might be Sean Livingston is not a stiff, but you still, you just don't really need to guard him that much of the three point. I think he'll, he'll probably be able to hit a corner three. Okay. Eventually. But it's just, again, I, I just don't quite see the upside. And because people think like, Oh, he's really athletic. He's a wing. He was on a really good team. He was a top five recruit. Like there must be a lot of upside there. And I just, you know, being athletic isn't all you need to have upside in my opinion. This might be putting you on the spot a little bit. I've thought about it a little myself, but not that much. But we've now done those three wing forward type guys. Do you, I, of course it depends on team specific stuff, but in, in the abstract, do you have kind of a ranking of the three in your head? I've got Jonathan Isaac way above Tatum and Jackson right now, uh, just because I think that he is, I think he actually has the most upside of this group number one but number two that he seems the most likely to be able to fit into a role and to be more of a modern nba player with his shooting ability with his ability to protect the rim his defensive rebounding his quick first step is probably the most impressive physical attribute of any of these three guys that i've seen and i think you know body wise he can grow into it a lot more i would probably have tatum slightly ahead of jackson at this point because i do think there is a way in which tatum can get to be a really good scorer but you know more along the lines of like a joe johnson type of mold uh and i think tatum is more capable of playing the four than jackson is even if jackson Jackson is a little bit more athletic. Tatum has the bigger frame, better defensive rebounder, in my opinion. Uh, you know, and, and while Tatum doesn't look like a great three-point shooter at this point, I think he's closer. He shoots a good percentage from the line. He's got that post game that you can go to against smaller defenders where I think he can be pretty efficient. Um so yeah, I, I would put Tatum slightly ahead of Jackson at this point, but you know it'd be interesting to see where everyone else fits in. We haven't watched that much film, but I I have a feeling that I'm going to have like the point guards ahead of like all of these wings, but we'll see. It disturbs me how much I agree with you on that because I've liked Isaac for a long time, and with Tatum, the point that you got into in terms of a path, I think, is the most important thing. Like I'm thinking that the way that he becomes just a really good player is less likely than a lot of other people. I haven't read that much draft writing yet. 
I mean, I like to kind of judge it myself first and then go through it after that. But I think it's still wider than it is for Josh Jackson. And the idea of, oh, well, he's a three and threes are really hard to get. And you can look at the contracts Harrison, Bar- Harrison Barnes got and the one that Otto Porter is going to get this year. You still need to reach a certain threshold there. And Jackson can, but I don't think it's it's a fait accompli for him. And I like the idea that Tatum can kind of bounce between the positions. And I, I'm excited about the, the chance that it works out a little bit more than I am for Josh Jackson. Yeah, if Jackson just had like a little more length and, or a little more strength and, and a bigger frame where I felt confident that he could play as a four more often, that would totally change my outlook on him. But, you know, I just, I, I don't have that confidence in him right now. All right, I think that'll do it for tonight. Thanks so much for listening, of course. I guess we'll have to do Twitter NBA show for game four of Cleveland and the Celtics now. Mm no okay well I'll, i guess well, i'll just do it then. we'll see we'll you, see you, you, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of assess that but oh i should also mention um my i mentioned I, I mentioned this in passing on twitter nba show my sports illustrated offseason preview of the minnesota timberwolves came out on saturday evening so you can check that out and then should be one coming out on monday but the fun thing is i don't know which one i have like three that are submitted so we'll see which one it is also don't forget about our patreon account patreon.com slash duncan larue we did our first mailbag pod on thursday that was really a fun one only submissions from patreon subscribers only for patreon subscribers so we appreciate your patronage and hope that more of you will decide to check that out we've got some other benefits there as well that we lay out on the site and we'll be back with dunked on tomorrow night we'll see whether golden state can close out san antonio and not sure what we're going to do yet for tomorrow maybe an off-season preview if i can watch enough film on whoever the next draft prospect is going to be maybe we'll do that it just kind of depends what the timing is oh yeah don't forget about our sponsors me undies and and movement watches catch you next time all right feel free to hang up i'm just gonna do the movement uh ad and, and stick it in during that celtics period no i'll just I'll, I'll just mute myself and i'll be i won't i won't be listening i'll be i'll stay in though very well Whoop. at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.